Hi, I'm Riley Norman, and I've been at NBC for almost a year. Um, today we're reading Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's exciting. What a nice day to have our day out uh, uh, outside or in the gym, uh, to have a meal together as a church family. Uh, I love it when the, when the uh, Lord answers prayer and we don't have this heat wave. We got some nice cool weather. Amen? I mean, what a great day. So uh, we're looking at Philippians chapter 2. And you know, I was looking at and thinking about character goals. What are the character goals that most people have? If you were to have character goals, and maybe some of you have set character goals, maybe some of you have never done that, I would encourage you to, to think about that. To think about what are some of the character goals, the character qualities that a, that a believer in Christ should have. Well, I was just... Uh, I decided to Google this week and find out uh, what are some of the character goals that are just out there on the internet that people say are the top character goals. Success.com had six of them. Uh, uh, integrity, honesty, loyalty, self-sacrifice, accountability, and self-control. Good list. Beacharacter.com had seven things you need to know to thrive. Pos being positive, being religious or spiritual, have a proactive personality, uh, being motivated, uh, uh, being a learner, uh, being resilient, and having social competence. In other words, being aware of uh, what they call uh, 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 the emotional IQ, uh, knowing uh, how people take you, being aware of yourself. Indeed.com. Uh, which you've heard a lot of their ads uh, uh, on for other things, said ambitious, creative, compassionate, conscientious, courageous, flexible, I mean, a whole list of things. And I, as I was looking at these, I was thinking all these different things, all these different character qualities, and then I look at our passage today, humility. And you go, wow, that's not on those lists that you just read, Greg. And yeah, that's right. Here's all these lists of things that we can do to develop our personality, to succeed, to thrive, to whatever. And yet Paul talks in this passage about having this mind, a mind of humility. And I was thinking, wow, that's pretty powerful. In fact, uh, if you can put up the series slide, uh, that's why I titled this series, Have This Mind. Because uh, in chapter 2, 
And in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, be Christ-like. And you think about one of those, it's kind of echoey here, if you can do something about that, but uh, sorry. Uh, if you think about that, you think this idea of humility is not very, uh, very held very highly, and yet it's crucial if we're going to have the mind of Christ. Christ was humble. And so then we got to think about, well, what is humility? I love uh, the statement by John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. And I was thinking, wow, that's a, that's a hard thing to do. That's, that's a more powerful statement. We just read it. It flows off our tongue easily. Oh, yeah, that's great. He was like that. How hard did that, was that? For him to have Christ being exalted and he starts out and everybody's pra- singing his praises and then all the crowds are starting to go to this other guy. That had to be hard from a human perspective. I can tell you as I've changed roles at Mansfield Bible Church from lead pastor to founding pastor, I've noticed a change in how people respond to me in our community. And they, oh, oh you're not the lead guy. Where's the lead? And, and, and it's like, wow. You know, and, and I thought, oh, no big deal. I, I did it for 35 years. You know, I'll, I'll be fine with this. And I realized, oh, there's some, you know, there's some stuff inside still. <laughs> I got more of my identity from, from what I do than I thought I did. And, and so I realized, wow, I, I need to, I, I've got some growing to do in this area of humility. This area, because humility is not looking down on yourself. It's not looking at yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not this focus upon me and myself. And I still remember this book that was out in in 78. I thought it was sooner than that, but it was looking out for number one. And that's, we're good at that. Humility, we struggle with that one. I love this statement on humility. Pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. It's a humble thing. It's not a weak thing to be humble. It doesn't mean that you don't stand up for yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't speak truth. It doesn't mean that you don't uh, uh, say things strongly. It doesn't mean that you, you hold back and you're looking down and you're kind of, you know, the guy that always walks around looking at his shoes all the time. You know, oh, shucks, you know, I, I didn't do nothing. You know, I mean, it, you see it in pro athletes. The ones that are truly humble are, are the ones that people go, man, you, that was such a great run that you had. And he goes, you should have seen the offensive linemen. Weren't they blocking great? And he's given... He knows there's plenty of credit to go around and he knows he couldn't have done it without them. That's humility when we realize that we can't do it by ourselves. We need humility when it comes to God. We think that we've done all this stuff on our own, that we've made all this success on our own, even financially successful. Well, who gave you the good health that you got? Who gave you the life that you got? Who caused you to be born in this country rather than a third world country in some village somewhere where you have nothing? I mean, you, we take so much for granted. Who gave you the hard work ethic that you have? We stand on so many people's shoulders, and yet it's so easy for us to say, I did this myself. I'm a, you know, I'm a self-made person. No, you're not. Neither am I. We stand on the shoulders of many, many people who have gone before us. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was, as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking how we have these dreams these hero dreams, hero worship dreams where we're, we're the hero, right? 
You make the winning shot. Boom. Yay, everybody's cheering. You're holding your hands up. They're all chanting your name, right? And you think, we have all sorts of dreams like that where we're the sinner. And when I wake up sometimes and I've had a dream like that or when that, my thoughts kind of go in that direction, I started praying this simple prayer. God, let someone do that. God, let someone have that cure for cancer. God, let someone teach that person or, or reach that person for Christ that I have a heart for. You haven't gotten, allowed me to do that. Lord, let somebody reach them. And I've started praying that prayer because it takes the focus off of me. It takes the focus off of me making it happen. And then, yeah, maybe I'm supposed to be that person and I'm ready to go. I was even thinking this week as I was thinking about Tanzania, I thought, what if, what if I started a seminary in Tanzania for pastors? And, 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 and I started getting excited about it. And then I was like, buckles, that's a hero dream again. Oops. Right? And so I started praying, Lord, let somebody do that. But then when I started praying that, I started thinking, wow, you know, if I, if I didn't try to just do it myself, who would I get involved in? Maybe I should call Dallas Seminary and say, hey, would you like to have an extension out in you know, Tanzania and, and talk to, uh, you know, I've been talking to different mission agencies trying to find out can we coordinate what we do at Mansfield Bible with some of what they do. And, and uh, I was thinking maybe I should call this, these couple of these organizations and see if they want to get involved in this. And, and, I, and I found myself thinking bigger and I started realizing, you know, that's, that's where stuff's going to happen. That's where God's going to start blessing that stuff. You know, I think if you have this dream to find a cure for cancer, well, do you know, you've, you've, uh, you're dependent on a lot of people, depending on those researchers to do the research and, and those people uh, funding the research. And so, well, we were just at a fundraiser for CF. They did a great job, raised almost $40,000 for, for CF. And I praise God for that. And I look at that and think, it takes people doing that. And it takes people feeling together that we're working together as a team. It's one of the things I love about Mansfield Bible is that, that we're doing and beginning to have that culture in our church where we're thinking more and more outwardly. And we're thinking more and more about beyond these walls. We're thinking more and more about how can I get out of the seat and go and, and minister in this community and reach people for him. It's why we have the Community Outreach Sunday, to keep that in front of us. To reach people for him. Because you see, when you look at this, this book, the book of Philippians, remember chapter 1 talks about having a gospel mindset. We want to have that. That's a word that's used throughout the, the first chapter. And he says, he's excited and he's praying with joy for them. Why? In verse 4, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. They were partnering in the gospel. They had a gospel mindset. That's why he says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So the gospel is not by works. It's by grace. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins and he rose from the grave. When I believe on Jesus, I receive the free gift of salvation. It's so simple. And so when we go to Tanzania, for instance, we want to make sure the gospel shared along with the medical. Because a person isn't just a physical being, they're a spiritual being as well. We don't just go with the gospel because they're a physical being as well as a spiritual being and we want them to know we care about them as a whole person. And we care about the things that they care about most, the health of them and their kids. And then when we talk about the gospel, we're lights in the world because we're ministering to them, we're loving on them, we're caring for them. 
but we're caring for the whole person because they have hurts and dreams and fears just like the rest of us. There was a statement, uh, I love this statement about humility. Humility is the true key to success. He was talking about success. It was not a Christian guy saying this. He says, successful people lose their way at times. It's easy to do that. Humble people share the credit and wealth. Or he says, humility holds this arrogance and self-indulging trap. What a statement. Let me say it again. Humility holds this arrogance and self-indulging trap. Humble people share the credit and wealth, remain focused and hungry to continue the journey of success. There are people that are very successful that see the need for humility, see the need that, that, that like I said, that, that running back that sees his offensive line as, as part of what's going on and why he's so successful. In fact, I still remember my dad telling me a story about a guy that was bragging about how good a running back he was and the offensive line got kind of sick of it, to be honest with you, so they decided we're not blocking for you anymore. <laughs> this guy had, had, had led the nation in running yards in college and uh, for the next three weeks he had minus yardage <laughs> now how great you are sucker you know I mean that's almost like what the, the lines were saying wasn't it the offensive line were saying now let's see how good you are by yourself we're nothing we need one another if we're going to find the cure to cancer it's not a solo operation we're going to do missions. It's not just me going. It's a church family going. And maybe I'm the only one with the plane ticket, but we're all in there together. We're all in there in spirit. We're all in there praying. We have a table out there for Ecuador, and, and we're doing shoes again. Uh, we did that years ago, and uh, we're trying to raise money for 200 pairs of boots, 200 rain boots for these kids, and we want to put socks on these kids. We want to wash their feet and share the gospel with these kids. Wow. It's not just an individual doing it. It's, a, it's, it's all of us together. You can be a great teacher of the Bible. But as Howard Hendricks used to tell us in our class at seminary, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. That's humility. When we're not up there just trying to promote self and say, look how, I, how, how great a job I did. It's, Lord, how can, I, how can you use me to reach hearts and change lives and see true transformation? You think the simple acts of your life are not that important. There's an elementary school named Dean Corey Elementary. Dean Corey was a band director, I think, at Arlington High School. And then he became the music supervisor, and he hired me to come to Arlington to be an orchestra teacher. Because I came to Arlington, a simple decision, a simple hire on his part. Because I came to Arlington, it's where I met my wife. Because I came to Arlington, I got involved in a ministry where I met some guys from Dallas Seminary and I ended up going to Dallas Seminary. It was from Arlington that I was going to a church that said, hey, uh, we want you to start a church in Mansfield. I think a simple decision, a simple influence in a person's life, and yet it was profound for me. It changed the course of my life in so many ways. And so you think that the small things of your life are not that important, but they are. When we have a humble life, this passage talks about us being lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. And so when we look at this passage... We, we've got to understand 
the examples that we have, four examples of humility, humble lifestyles that are gospel-centered. One is the author of this passage. He's writing this passage about humility while he's in prison in Rome in a very humble situation. And here he is in a prison in Rome, and you would think, if we wrote that letter, what would our letter say? I'm hating it in here, get me out of here, or whatever, right? Complaining and griping. What is his focus? One of the most joyful letters you could imagine. Why was he so joyful? Because their participation in the gospel. Because they were not only partners in the gospel, they were at the end of the book we find they were giving to his ministry. And they sent a guy that risked his life, Epaphroditus, to get the money to him for the ministry that he was doing in Rome while he's in prison. And he's writing these letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, while he's in a very humble situation. And he's very gospel-centered. He has a mind of the gospel, living his manner of life worthy of the gospel. He has a humble mindset. The other is Jesus we see this in verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, and there, this is a very theological passage, by the way, so I want to unpack a few of the, the, the words here. He was in the form of God. The word morphe is that, is that word. We get our word morph from that Greek word. And, and, and so he's saying, uh, we think that the word, when you first look at it, sounds like, oh, he, he reflected God or he looked like God or whatever. No, the word is stronger than that. In fact, used in the, in the language of the day, uh, there's uh, uh, Parmenides used this word and he meant the idea of essence or nature. So you go back to this and you put his understanding in there, if that's the correct use of it, and I think it is, who though he was in very essence God, in very nature God, what Paul is saying is he is God. He couldn't say it stronger. He's saying Jesus is God. God in the flesh. God that took on humanity. He's God. He's been for everlasting to everlasting. He's always been the son, although he took on humanity or human flesh at a certain point in time. He's always been the son. He's always been part of the Trinity, the triune God that we serve, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So though, although he was exactly in essence God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's usually the way it's translated. The idea there is an is, uh, idea of uh, forcefully held on to. That he would cling to this. Was not a thing that he would cling to. And I know that because the very next word, uh, or next two words, but emptied himself. That word emptied has, is the word kenosis. There's all sorts of theological writings about that particular word in this passage. About the nature of Christ. What does it mean that he emptied? Is it like taking a, a thermos or, a, or, or this cup and then pouring the contents out and now it's empty? No, that's not the picture there. The idea is voluntarily not using. Because he couldn't, if he's God, he can't do away with his godness. He can't make himself not God. He can't just say, well, I'm not going to be God for a while. And so 
there's a mystery there because when you think about it, okay, he's in human form. He's in a limited, finite human form. And yet, at the same time, he's infinite and everywhere. That's mind-boggling thinking about that. There's mystery there about exactly how that works. But I'm okay with mystery. Because, I mean, I, I had a professor that said, would it bother you more that I can't explain everything about God or if I could? It'd bother me more if he could. Because then it means God is, is understood by a limited, finite being. He's unlimited. He's infinite. There's going to be things that are mystery, things that I can't explain. There are things that we're told in Scripture. We're told in Scripture there's going to be things that God doesn't tell us. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Try that one on for size. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There's some things God keeps secret. He keeps only to himself. And we're not privy to those. The things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, he says. And so he's revealed some things. Some things are mystery. I'm okay with mystery. So there's going to be mystery about who God is. So what is this emptying? Voluntary non-use. He voluntarily did not use his power in certain situations. And yet sometimes it seems like he did. He voluntarily chose not to know something or didn't acknowledge knowing something. Only the Father knows when the, when the time has come. Why does he say that? How can he say that if he's God? Because he voluntarily didn't use. So here's the one, and when you think about the humility of Christ... He is worthy of all praise and glory and honor and majesty. He is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He is the righteous one. He is the one who, who I mean, he is God. He is deity. He is El Shaddai. He is, I mean, you look at all these things that Christ is, and he, he, he humbled himself to come and take on the form of humanity. Wow, he didn't have to do that. He humbled himself to take on death. He didn't have to do that one either. Why did he do it? Well, because of the gospel. For God so loved. For God so loved. He loved us. For God so agaped us. That's not phileo love. That's not, okay, an economic relationship with God. Uh, if I love God, he'll love me. If I don't love God, he's not going to love me. That's not, that's, not it's, that's economic. God loved me when I still was his enemy. That's what Romans says. While I was still a sinful condition, he loved me. That's the gospel. He loved me and died for me, rose from the grave so that I could have salvation as a free gift and all I have to do is receive it. I mean, that blew me away when I first heard that message. I did not understand that before. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He died for us. He humbled himself to do that. We have a humble Savior. And he loves you deeply. He loves me deeply. Paul gives a couple of other examples of humility and Timothy and Epaphroditus at the end of the chapter in verses 19 to the end, verse 30. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him. 
Humility is a rare quality. A person with the mind of humility, the mind of the gospel, living worthy of the gospel, that that's part of their thinking and their thoughts. That's something God wants us to have in our thinking. An others focus, a gospel focus. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned about your welfare. For they all seeking their own interest. Not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. In other words, you know this guy. You've seen him. You know what he's like. How as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. In other words, he was teachable. He was a learner. That's part of what humility is. You're not just thinking you know it all. You're always learning. You're always growing. You're always listening. And that's hard to do. When you become an expert in an area and you know this well in your own areas of expertise, you, you know your stuff and you don't want somebody coming in and telling you like, like you don't know. But if we listen, we learn. And I can tell you what, parents, we can learn from our kids too. They have a lot to teach us. It's not just a one-way street, this parenting thing. We can learn from them as well as them, they learning from us. And you see this mentoring kind of relationship between Paul and Timothy. And he says, I hope to send him soon. And then in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So here's a guy who is also gospel-minded. He's gospel-centric. And in fact, we know more about Epaphroditus from this particular letter. In Philippians chapter 4, we find that he was the one who brought the finances and the financial resources from Philippi to Paul. He was a trustworthy guy. Now, you think about that in regard to somebody like Judas who stole from the purse. But Epaphroditus didn't do that. In verse 18, he says, I received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And then he talks about them in the sense of a, an offering to God. He says, a fragrant offering, a sacrificial accepta, acceptable and pleasing to God. And it's then that he says, and my God shall supply every need of yours. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Epaphroditus was somebody who, who not only was responsible to get the money to Paul, but it looks like he may have been the one that carried this letter back to the church at Philippi. And sometimes I wonder, which was the greater task? Because here, for all time, we have the Word of God, and we have this joyful letter. What an amazing letter. It's so joyful. And I think it's so joyful because here's these you see this church and he's thankful for them because of their participation in the gospel. And when you see people participating in the gospel, it gives you joy. And you see the joy that they have. As I see people that have provided uh, for some of the trip of Tanz to Tanzania, that we're able to uh, not only go, but uh, bring Bibles with us. We're able to bring glasses God just provided, I have on my desk, I don't know how many pairs of, of glasses. Because you got pastors who have a hard time reading this stuff because they just can't see. I mean, if you wear glasses, you know what it's like to try to read something when you can't really see what it is. And for them to be able to, you know, to bring these glasses, i got to figure out how to get them there. 
Because uh, used to we could take three bags free, and now we got to pay for the other two. About 100 bucks a bag. You know, it's a long way to Tanzania, right? And so I, I look at that and I just think, wow, I've just watched, I've watched God provide for these different things, these different ministries. I mean, all these pairs of glasses just donated. How much would that have been? You know, I think about uh, 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 something that happened recently uh, to one of our members who, who wanted to, wanted, uh, was thinking about Operation Christmas Child and was thinking about getting some toothbrushes and uh, had, had, found, uh, had found that from their dentist they could, they could buy these toothbrushes at cost and, and so they were going to do that and then they, the, when the dentist found out he said, well, hey, I want to donate a thousand. And then the... Uh, uh, when they called the company to order them, the company says, we want to donate a thousand. And I was wondering all along how, uh, when Susan said, you know, we did 1,500 boxes last year. And I said, yeah, that was hard. And he says, yeah, let's do 2,000 this year. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> really 2,000 this year? You sure? Not, you know, you don't want to incrementally step it up or something, you know, like 1,501 or something. <laughs> oh, me of little faith, right? And then God just provided 2,000 toothbrushes and, and all these glasses. In fact, these, uh, the person who got the glasses said we might be able to get another 2,000 pair of glasses to put in each one of those Operation Christmas Child boxes. And maybe even more than one pair, so maybe a grandparent can get one too. And I'm just, my heart is full. It's full of joy as I watch our participation in the gospel. I can see why Paul was so excited and why he had such joy when he was thinking about this church. Because they were partnering with him. They were humbly just getting invested with him. And so many of them, we don't know their names. I was thinking about Epaphroditus, his humility and, and how he was I mean, you, this was amazing to me. This, this statement, I first read it, and I thought I read it wrong uh, years ago. It says, for he has been, he, he got sick, and he says, for he has been longing for you and has been distressed. Why was he distressed? Because you heard that he was ill. What? You heard he was ill, so he was concerned about them and their distress over him. He wasn't concerned. I mean, I was just like, wow, that's just so mind-blowing. He's so concerned about them that he's thinking about their concern for, his, for the him. I'm like, wow. We don't know their names. I read something this morning. I was just kind of looking at a few last, you know, things uh, online. Kind of make, on Sunday morning, sometimes I'm, I'm checking, you know, fact-checking myself, trying to make sure, oh, do I have this thing right or do I have that right? And, and then, uh, then I came across an illustration, and it blew me away. It was, it was done by Gordon, Gordon Conwell College, and, and um, the uh, statement was this. It was, it was in 2017 was when it was written. And it said, in the last year, 90,000 people have been martyred for their faith in Jesus. 90,000. And I just started bawling this morning. 90,000. Don't even know their names. People committed to the gospel so much so that you put, a, you put their life at risk and they say, you have to take my life because I can't compromise this. I hesitated to share it this morning because I was thinking now nobody's going to want to be humble, right? 
And then the statistic went on and it said that's been the case for the last 10 years, the last decade, 90,000 per year. 900,000 in the 21st century. I was like, wow. And we don't know their names. Humble people committed to the gospel that have the mind of Christ, that care so much about their fellow people coming to Christ that they're willing to sacrifice their life. I remember reading a book years ago called The Persecutor about a, uh, a, a guy, and it was his testimony. Uh, he was uh, uh, in the Russian military, and, and they were breaking up Christian meetings, these hidden Christian meetings that were everywhere during the time of communism. And, and so he, was, he went to this one particular house, his house church was meeting, and he beat up all these people that were there. He and his buddies, I mean, they beat him with mercilessly. And he remembered this young, one young woman that was there in her 20s, and he beat her up pretty good. And then a few weeks later, he was at another meeting that he showed up and started beating up people. And that same 20-year-old woman was there, and he beat her up again. And then he went to a third meeting a few weeks later, and there was that same woman. He couldn't understand it. And he ended up coming to Christ as a result of, of just this woman's being willing to just follow Jesus, just to walk with Jesus. And I've just always remembered that story. It's just been so powerful in my life. And I just thought, Lord, let me, let me be that like that woman, someone who's willing to just show up and just follow Jesus no matter what, to go wherever you want me to go, that's willing to have people look at them funny, willing to be whatever. I'm yours, Lord. May we be of that sort. You see, when we have that kind of attitude, that kind of focus, we'll be the ones that bow our knee to Christ and not grudgingly. I think that's why he says, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. We sang about that, didn't we? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This morning in Bible recap, we, we read Psalm 95. And it talks about bowing the knee before the Father. And then the very next verse says, but don't harden your hearts as they did at Meribah. And it goes on to talk about Israel's hardness of heart. And I think, Lord, may my heart never be hard to you. May my knee always bow to you. May my heart always bow to you. May my will always bow to you. The God of gods and Lord of lords who deserves my allegiance and that of the world. He says, therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so they, they did obey. They didn't turn away. They didn't harden their hearts. He says, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And at first you go, oops, uh, wait a minute. Didn't, God, didn't Paul understand the gospel? What does he mean work out your salvation? You've got to understand the word saved. When you look at scripture, you need to find out and look in the passage. Is it in the past tense, the present tense, or the future tense? That's going to be very telling. You have been saved. He's talking about your justification. You've been saved from sin's penalty. 
You are being saved or, or, or whatever. It's, it's this idea of, of, of uh, sanctification. Being saved from the power of sin in this life here and now. You will be saved. It's talking about future. So therefore it's talking about glorification. Saved from the presence of sin when sin is no more. And so you look at this passage and he's talking about working out your salvation. It's got to be sanctification he's talking about. So that our living our lives worthy of the gospel, which is what he just said in chapter 1. So that fits with the context. And then he says, but even if you're working out your salvation, know this. You're not doing this on your own. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's working in your life already. He's working in your life to help us to live these lives that are worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it's that reason that we don't grumble or complain. That's why he goes on next to talk about that. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. If I had written a Philippian letter, I probably would have put a few complaints in there. Maybe the whole thing would have been complaints. Get me out of here. I'm hating this. The food's bad, you know. The, the sleeping conditions aren't great. I'm sleeping on this rock, you know, and it's kind of leaving a spot on my back. I mean, you, you would imagine some of that, and you get this wonderful book of joy. And you think, why, how can he do that when he's, when he's stuck in prison in Rome? And we know it's Rome because he's talking about the imperial guard in chapter 1, and in the end he's saying the whole household of Caesar that are believers, they, they want to send their greetings too. I mean, he's in Rome. He's been, been leading people to Christ in prison while he's in prison. But when we're grumbling and disputing, guess what? Where's the focus then? Me. When I walk in a church service, when I walk in any event, and I say, wow, I didn't get much out of that. Well, that's really saying more about me than it is about the service, by the way, or about the event. Because if I'm saying that, I'm making the focus me. I'm walking in the room and saying, here I am. Ta-da. Instead of saying, oh, there you are. And I come to you. Hey, how's it going in your life? And, and I'm thinking, instead of walking in saying, what am I going to get out of this? I'm walking in saying, Lord, who do you want me to minister to this morning? That's a whole different mindset. That's a gospel mindset. That's a humble mindset. That's not a self-focused mindset. And guess what? You'll go out of that service more full than you came in. Your heart's going to be full when you do that. And I see that happening after our services where people are hanging around and talking to each other, encouraging one another, enjoying each other's company, and sometimes sharing, sometimes putting an arm on and praying for someone else. That's the lifestyle that we should have. And I guarantee you, I walk out of here every Sunday going, wow, wasn't that great? I remember Howard Hendricks, my professor in Bible study methods, told us, he says, I've never heard a bad sermon. And you're going, you've got to be kidding me. I've heard plenty of them, right? Don't, don't amen on that, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and, 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 and he said, I've never had a bad one because the passage is always so great. And if the guy's kind of struggling or fumbling around with it, he says, I just go to the passage and I come away just so excited about what I've learned. I go, wow. That's the perspective that we come in and we trust the Lord for what he's going to do. That he's going to work and he's going to use you. And when I go to Tanzania, I, there's going to be some things that make me uncomfortable. I've been asked to do some things and, and, and the amount of things and I'm sitting there trying to prep, uh, leading up to it. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to have enough time to get all this preparation done. And, and, I, and I find myself getting anxious and it's like, stop, 
This is God's deal. And I need to trust what he's going to do. I need him to go before me and change hearts and transform people's lives and, and before I even get there. And he'll set up the whole thing because he said right here, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's already working ahead of time. He's already over there in Tanzania. He's omnipresent. His spirit is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I'm just a cleanup operation from our prayers that we pray before we go. Please pray for those folks. Please pray for what God's going to do and is doing right now to prepare their hearts for when our team shows up. When I think about a humble guy, one of the guys that I think about is Billy Graham. He was a guy that, even though he had all these accolades, he didn't toot his own horn, so to speak. When he was 95 years old, he, was, he asked his son, Franklin, he says, he says, I want to preach the gospel one more time. I mean, he's preached all over the world. People come to Christ. As a result of that, I had a roommate in college who came to Christ watching a Billy Graham crusade on TV. And he came to Christ. Who knows how many people came to Christ because of that man. God used him because he, was, he, he wasn't all about himself. And here he is in 95, and he was wanting to preach the gospel one more time. He was not in good health. And he said, and after a while, he said, you know what? I don't think I can do it. I can't stand long enough to even preach. They said, well, we can do it online. And he was like, yeah, but I still, I don't have the energy to, to go through a whole message, I don't think. And, and so they said, well, we'll do it in pieces. We'll go as long as you can go, and then we'll let you rest, and then kind of add, and we'll piece it together. Fox News found out about it and decided they were going to show it. And people were saying, what are you doing? You're, you know, you're a news agency. Why are you showing this, you know, gospel presentation? He says, it's Billy Graham. It's 95 years. It's a news story. And so they broadcast when they got done this, his last gospel presentation. It's gone online. It's had over 10 million views. A guy who just loved the Lord, wanted to follow Jesus, and has a gospel mindset and a humble mindset, and God used him. You listen to his messages and you kind of go, well, they weren't, they weren't all that. There's better preachers I heard, yeah, but somehow his just resonated with people and people came to Christ. And so when I think about us, I think about the fact that God used 12 guys to turn the world upside down. I mean, among so many that we have, God can do it again. He can turn our world upside down. And we're in a world that desperately needs Jesus. Let's be those who, while we're following Christ, have the mind of Christ. Humble and gospel-focused. Father, we come to you this morning. And we know that we're not all that. We don't have all the gifts. We're not those who may be ever known. We may be like the church at Philippi. We don't know their names. 
but Lord, you used them to reach the world at their time frame. And Lord, I pray that you'd do the same with us. I pray that you'd help us to be humble people who aren't just blowing our own horn, but are, are reaching out to those around us. Through 2,000 boxes with OCC to Ecuador, Father, with uh, uh, the shoes and the other ministries they're doing. In Tanzania, Father, as, uh, as, we, as we speak to pastors, as we do medical for these villages that have never had any medical done for them. Because nobody was willing to go that far from their hotel. Lord, I pray that you would use those things. Pray and thank you for community outreach who we got involved with personally. Father, so many ways that you've allowed us to reach out and not just with physical needs, but to meet the spiritual needs of people, the gospel uh, needs, uh, the, the fact that people are spiritual beings and need Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would, we would always have that mindset. And Lord, I pray that you would use us. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died on a cross for us and rose from the grave and that he is alive today and that because of him, salvation is free to anyone, to whoever will receive, to whoever will believe. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, that today would be that day that they ask Jesus to be their Savior. Simply that. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this wonderful day, and I pray that you would bless this meal that we're going to have together as a church family. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.